Hello and welcome. Thank you so much for listening to PATC podcast put on by Public Agency Training Council, the country's largest and longest running provider of seminars for police and fire officers. My name is Mark Waterfill. I am the owner and president of Public Agency Training Council, and we very much appreciate you being here with us. Uh, We've got a wonderful guest today, Wayne Shepard, and I'll first uh, have my co-host introduce himself, Dave Broadway. Hi, I'm Dave Broadway. I'm a um, 34-year law enforcement, retired in 08. During my career, I was a local cop, and then I was with the Florida Department of Law Enforcement for 24 years. I've been teaching adjunct at academies, universities, and of PATC for the last eight years, and um, really enjoying myself in retirement and keeping my fingers in there. Fantastic. Thank you so much, David. And Wayne, welcome. Thank you. I- I'm uh, excited to be with you today. That's great. Tell our audience about your background. All right. Uh, I'm retired Pennsylvania State Police. Career there and a very, very exciting career. And then I was also with the National Center for Missing Exploited Children, their associate director of training and outreach there. Uh, That was 11 years there. Since then, doing consulting work and, of course, uh, enjoying uh, all of the workings with PATC, providing quality instruction across the United States. Uh, I really enjoy that quite a bit. Like Dave, I've been in the business a long time, 37 years. Are you a married guy, kids, grandkids? I am married to a, uh, a bride of uh, be 43 years in May and three kids and four grandkids, two son-in-laws and a, and a lovely daughter-in-law. So the Shepherd family is alive and well. <laughs> Wonderful. Tell our audience the classes that you teach for PATC. I have a variety of classes that are listed on the PATC website. The majority of the classes that seem to be in demand uh, that I teach uh, most often would be a death and homicide school, which is five days long, and a criminal sexual deviancy school, which is uh, three days long. So those two seem to be the most in demand. I have uh, other uh, classes that are available to teach upon demand as well. Yeah, you've also got crime scene Yes, crime scene investigation class. Uh, I have a, uh, a interview class for first line supervisors and patrol officers and five day child abduction homicide school that uh, we teach for PATC as well. So a lot of a lot of different uh, courses tying into my career path available to the uh, our audience to register and to sign up for and attend quality training. What is involved in the death and homicide class? With the Death and Homicide School, uh, which is a very, very hands-on, highly interactive school, we five days in the classroom. And what I do is I talk about a diphasic approach to criminal investigative work. And what I mean by that is in very simple vernacular is a two-prong approach to criminal investigations. Uh, I talk heavily about the criminal behavior behind the crime, and I talk about that forensic application that is coming into play because of the manifestation of that human behavior between the victim and the offender. That is the main thrust of that course. What we do, Mark, is we try to set the stage looking at what really is forensics. We talk a lot about forensics, forensic science, et cetera. And so what I do quickly is talk about how that entire work product, as it's defined, forensics bogs in a court of justice. And so all of those efforts of our forensic people is an augmentation to that criminal investigation part where we're looking at the human behavior, trying to understand it. And once we're able to understand that, be able to properly investigate it and also get it interviewed. 
do you have a block in there or do you talk about misdirection type of behaviors like where they're trying to portray something that nothing's adding up but they're trying to look a certain way do you cover that in the course I do. And uh, uh, the vernacular across the discipline is different words are used for it. With me, with an old football adage, that whole misdirection kind of thing is what we'll see. And it, basically, it's an individual who's trying his or her best to distance, to deflect and try to lessen any criminal culpability they may be involved with. And so being aware that does happen. So is the first step in, in acknowledging it and understanding it. And then once we see that come into play, then what I teach is, and I'm very passionate about this. What I teach is we don't want to, we don't want to squash to suppress any alternate theories that an offender may bring forth or a, a victim as well. When we look at that dynamic between these two human beings. And so we don't want to squash that. It's like being a, captain of a ship and have a rudder in your hand. You navigate through that. And here's why. Here's one of the most important things that comes uh, out of this. And it's been my experience of 37 years. And that is this. When an individual tries to deflect, tries to get us off track, if you will, sometimes they're inadvertently starting to speak about another crime they've committed. And so if we squash that, we won't uncover that other crime. However, if we navigate through that and we're tentatively listening to what these people are saying to us, we will remove the mask and reveal other crimes that they're good for and also then have an opportunity to bring resolution to that victim or that victim's family. Very, very important thing, this whole arena of human communication. Well said. Thank you. Thank you, Dave. Thank you. Yeah. What uh, is discussed in your crime scene class? The crime scene class is we look at what constitutes a crime scene. And from that, that crime scene dynamic, which which that's a good word, actually, dynamic. Crime scenes are very, very dynamic. So we, we try to understand the importance of looking at things incrementally. And let me couch that in very simple terms. What was going on between the offender and the victim prior to them coming together, the commission of the crime, right? We could simply call those pre-crime behaviors. That has to be looked at, and that often, Mark, is not focused on. We get to scenes, and we look at the what. Well, the what that, that happened is not very difficult. The why is what's critical. And so often, the case is that why factor, if I can couch it that way, is found in those behaviors of the offender prior to even committing the crime. We find the catalyst speaks to causation, causality. So we, we find that catalyst in their pre-crime behaviors that caused them to act out against our victim. And since we're talking this incremental assessment, let's look at what happened afterwards. If you have a homicide where the victim didn't do anything, they, they're deceased, there isn't any post-crime behaviors. With a offender, however, Mark, and Dave, it's very important to look at what he or she did afterwards. Why is that? It's very telling. It's all part and parcel to the criminal offense in which they committed. So by looking at our crime scenes, I teach the class how to do crime assessment. And that's not difficult. It's not difficult to employ. It's not difficult to understand, but it's a requirement. It's, it's a must, if you will. And crime assessment is a hard look, a thorough review of the crime scene dynamics. And then we apply that 
background information from the offender and the victim to that crime assessment. From that, we have the whole hard science coming in that forensic application. And with the forensic application, it then will support what the officers believe as reference to what happened and why it happened. It speaks to why and it gets you to who did it. It's a very, very variable tool. Very variable crime assessment. Do you find that officers are uninformed about preserving the crime scene? I don't know if they're uninformed. What I believe it is, is that when we get to scenes, scenes can be chaotic. And so, you know, the old thing, putting the police line tape up, do not cross, is to secure the scene. And that's important. However, we also also have to secure the scene from ourselves. In other words, if we make entry into a crime scene, we need to make proper entry into a crime scene and make sure that we don't have scene contamination or scene cross-contamination. Very, very important. One of the issues I think that's uh, first and foremost in the mind of the officers is to secure the scene, and that's fine. But the securing the scene means you've got to slow down and you've got to think through this. I simply call it a critical thought process. And as you're critically thinking, then they're able to preserve, not cross-contaminate, etc. But rushing in will invariably cause problems. It always does. And that's the biggest part of this whole police response is slow it down. Well, Wayne, would you also um, teach your students about the crime scene has happened, especially in a death investigation, where the officers have it, have it uh, secured and to be kind of telescoping out with their eyes to say, what's going on outside this line and does it need to be moved out? Yes. And, and you know, that I, that's why I use the word dynamic. And I keep mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's like a broken record with me. There are certain things in a classroom setting that PATC to provide that quality training, we must be redundant in certain areas of our articulation so that it, that understanding is mentally digested by the officers. Think about it. We, we've been in the business a long time. There is a high, high demand upon them. They're being pulled every which way from Sunday. And so that very innate issue with law enforcement police responses is, okay, let's try to mitigate that. We can't fix that. You and I both know that, but let's try to at least mitigate it. And so through that slowing down the process, we come to realization we're too close. We have to expand out. A good example of this, I consulted on a case out in Westminster, Colorado, and this was an abduction of a child. It resulted in the murder, unfortunately, but the about 10 days into the disappearance, it was readily apparent that we're looking too close. We had to expand our parameters, if you will, and that will result in finding other evidence that supported, the, unfortunately, that it was a homicide. Uh, and the result is that case, uh, offender will be tried and convicted of the homicide. But again, that's a good illustration of how we were way too close and had to push out. Uh, describe your work for the Center for uh, Missing and Exploited Children. The National Center for Missing Exploited Children is a 501c3. It's a nonprofit. My job, my responsibility there was we wanted to look at providing, just like PADC, quality training that is relevant to the issues under the umbrella of all child maltreatment issues, whether that's child abduction, sexual molestation cases, who molests, why they molest, all these different kind of trainings that we would look at. And we would try to marry those up with different research findings that have been going 
going on across this country for years and years and years. So my role there was to to do that, was provide the venues, also to train as well, uh, just like I do for PATC. I would also do training uh, because of my knowledge base. Moreover, uh, we also looked at supporting law enforcement and the various things that the National Center could support law enforcement. The center has federal in-house partners, so we would levy those. Uh, state resources, we would levy those. Each state has a clearinghouse manager. Every state in the United States, clearinghouse manager, and that person's responsibility is to liaise between that law enforcement agency and the national center. And I would help facilitate that. I was the clearinghouse manager, amongst other things, when I was still with the state police. So it was a natural transition for me. I'm sure you enjoyed yeah. that relationship. And still do. What kind of things do you talk about in your interview class? When it comes to interviewing, one of the things that I think it's first and foremost is understanding that going into this interview scenario, and, and what I'm about to say, I'm a very, I'm very dogmatic about what I'm about to say. It's been my experience firsthand that in, in a relationship between a police officer and a suspect or offender, whatever you want to call them, for me, I look at it as we are always an adversary to them. It is not a good old boy kind of thing where we do a poor and now we're on the same page and it and it's it's hugs and kisses all around. That's not the case. Part of my career, which I've not mentioned, is looking at research, gaining insight into the offender's mindset, a reference to a variety of different things. When it comes to interviewing Mark, here's what we see. We are always an adversary. We're not an ally. So we talk about the setting. We talk about the rapport that takes place and what that really means. And then what we do is we try to get the officer to understand is that the offender is going to confess, which is never in his or her best interest to a law enforcement officer, but they will. Why is that? Because the officer is handsome or pretty, that may be, but that's not the issue. The issue is you started talking to them in reference to directly what drives them every day in their life. We call it baseline behavior. So in other words, if I'm going to talk to Dave, I'm going to convey to Dave that I know him, I know his background, he's of interest to me. And when you do that, that immediately ingratiate yourself with another human being. It's not getting to anybody's level. It's ingratiating yourself. There's a difference. And so I teach him how to do that. And then the heart and soul is what? We want to know the truth without bias or prejudice. And I talk about that. Going into this, we are biased and we are prejudiced. That's that's the nature of the beast. If you're dealing, Mark, with an, uh, an abduction of, of, of a, a woman who's been raped and murdered, as an example, well, that's egregious. That's an affront to everybody. So going into that, we're, we, we are biased because that's an affront to us. Let's first acknowledge it. Once that's done, being transparent about that, then we line up our interview strategy, which will be the focal point of the driving behavior of this individual every day in her life. So who is Wayne Shepard beyond the moniker, right? And we line up who I am. And then as if Dave was talking to me, he would use that background information about me as a means to eventually get me to talk about the crime that I committed. Now, that why factor comes into play. We reintroduce that why factor, and there's where confessions are found. If you think about it, Mark, it's like this. As we are talking together, we're thinking through different things, questions being asked, answers being provided. So we're going through cognitive behavior, which is thinking behavior. And offenders do that. However, however, the victim represents 
the stimulus. So that's emotional behavior. So I teach them how to move through that cognitive behavior, thinking behavior, and get the offender to the reactionary behavior. And there's where the confessions are found. And that's the strategy. Yeah, that's the strategy that I use. What kind of things do you like to do when you're not teaching PATC students? <laughs> well, I love to, I love teaching teaching for you, Mark. It's uh, great training, quality training. What I like, like to do on the side, I'm a voracious uh-huh. reader. I love to read. I do a lot, a lot of reading, maybe three, uh, four books Dang. a month I read. Yeah, little TV, a lot of reading. And, of course, uh, with the family and the kids and the grandkids, a little bit of hunting, uh, a uh-huh. little bit of fishing, that enjoy enjoy that. Those are my outlets, if you we, will. We just got back yeah. from the Nantahala, yeah. which you and I have talked about many times, uh, fly fishing. And I know you have a place nearby. I do. Down at uh, – oh, it's my wife's. I, I married well. but uh, That's great. <laughs> Danelle's, Danelle inherited – my wife's name is Danelle, and she inherited that. And so we go down there and do a little fishing and – uh, do a whole lot of relaxing, a little bit of clay bird shooting, you know, all that Fantastic. kind of stuff uh, as well. Yeah, well, yeah. And the smoky, two hours from right, me. yeah, right, you know, yeah. In the in the Smoky Mountains, yes, it's, it's yeah. beautiful there. Well, Wayne, thank yeah. you so much. You're a wonderful instructor. We truly appreciate our relationship with you, and and you do a fantastic job for PATC. Thank you so much. Oh, it's it's Mark and Dave. It's my pleasure. I continue to enjoy. Uh, working with you in a quality instruction that uh, we hear from students left and right that PAT is putting out there. So thank you very much for letting me be part of the All right, and thanks to our audience. Thank you so much for listening. And if you have any questions or comments, feel free to email us at patcpodcast1 at gmail.com. One, two, three.